Hi, I'm Lizzie O'Leary, host of Marketplace Weekend, and this is Ethics Be Damned, a special project with our investigative team at APM Reports. More than half of the president's 20-person cabinet has engaged in questionable or unethical conduct. That's according to an investigation led by APM reporter Tom Scheck and other media reports. The longtime head of the Office of Government Ethics, Walter Schaub, very publicly quit last year. And the acting head of that office, David Apol, told my colleague Tom that, quote, these are perilous times. But how did we get here? And where did our ethics rules come from in the first place? For that, Tom is going to take us back in time to the 1950s. Hi, Tom. Hey there. How's it going? We're going to go back to uh, 1958 and Dwight Eisenhower's administration. And when you think of Ike, Lizzie, what do you think of? I mean, I would go with the be like Ike buttons, the sort of, you know, that that guy. It's the squeaky clean image. You like Ike, I like Ike, everybody likes Ike. Right, a lot of people considered Ike to be squeaky clean, but there were some ethics problems that were in his administration, and there were worries that he was hiring too many business executives. Now, what makes this interesting is that Eisenhower and Republicans campaigned on cleaning up government after scandals plagued Harry Truman's administration. But... Eisenhower then got caught up with his own major scandal in 1958. One of the Capitol's hottest and touchiest political controversies is set off... At that time, Ike's chief of staff, Sherman Adams, was forced to resign. Sherman Adams improperly received gifts from Boston industrialist Bernard Goldfine. Basically, he accepted gifts from a New England textile magnet, an oriental rug, and a coat. At his next press conference, Ike anticipated reporters' questions with a prepared statement. A gift is not necessarily a bribe. One is evil, the other is a tangible expression of friendship. And it even got its own name, the Vicuña Coat Scandal. Vicuña, I have some vague memory of this from history textbooks. Catch me up. Vicuña is a pricey wool produced by an extremely rare South American animal, and it's pretty expensive stuff here. Some Vicuña scarves cost more than $1,000. So this scandal ended up costing Adams his job, mostly because Eisenhower's fellow Republicans worried that the scandal could cost them the 1958 elections. Uh, Why are we talking about this scandal now in 2018? This scandal helped set in motion the process that basically is the system for ethics today. John F. Kennedy saw the problems in the Eisenhower administration and the Truman administration, and he wanted to put tougher standards in place. They wanted to prevent that from happening to them. Uh, Very simple. That's Robert Roberts, a political science professor at James Madison University, and he's written several books on ethics issues involving the White House. When the Kennedy people came in, they wanted to make sure that they would not have to deal with these types of scandals. We see in Trump administration today having to deal with a special counsel. They didn't want to have to deal with scandals. You, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, do solemnly swear. I, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, do solemnly swear. Okay, so what did JFK and and then his successor, Lyndon Johnson, end up doing? So here's what they did. They updated the conflict of interest laws to say federal workers could not use public office for private gain. That seems simple, but it wasn't on the books at that point top-level appointees, they were also required to start filing confidential financial disclosure forms so the administration would know if there were any conflicts of interest out there, if somebody was holding uh, interests in a company or anything like that. But then in our timeline, we get to the 1970s, and one of the most important events when we are talking about government and ethics, Watergate and the Nixon administration. 
In a televised farewell last night, President Nixon acknowledged that because of the Watergate affair, he no longer has a strong enough base in Congress to continue with any effectiveness. Therefore, I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. Right, and then that that prompts basically another round of ethics changes. Jimmy Carter campaigned in 1976 as an outsider, and he was saying, I'm going to clean up Washington. Across our land, a new beginning is underway, led by a man whose roots are founded in the American tradition. And he and Congress pushed through what is uh, known as the 1978 Ethics in Government Act. And that's the law that we mostly follow today. And it requires every government employee to file financial disclosure statements. It created the Office of Government Ethics. But it was also really controversial. Almost right from the start, Ronald Reagan's administration, who was elected in 1980, came in in 1981. They really hated it. This is a man whose time has come. A strong leader with a proven record. Reagan was also elected as sort of a government outsider, campaigned against too much central government control. Why was his administration so worried about financial disclosure forms? But they had to fill a cabinet, right? And so they really Mm. struggled to find outsiders to join them. And one of the problems that the Reagan administration had is that they were going out and they were trying to ask business leaders, come into our cabinet because we want to do things a little bit differently here. But those business leaders, they didn't want to disclose their finances and they basically didn't take government jobs. So this is an argument that people still make today, that talented people won't serve in government because of the disclosure requirements. But, you know, the Trump administration has the wealthiest cabinet in history and the disclosure forms that we have um, and the system that we have, you know, can they really handle all of these complicated holdings? Sure. And let's take the case of uh, Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross. He's a wealthy businessman. He owns a bunch of ships and shipping companies. He filled out his disclosure form, and it clearly showed he owned ships through two companies. But when we looked further and we really dug in, we learned that he owns 36 more ships than previously disclosed. Most of those ships that he owns move oil and gas. And this is a big issue because Ross, as Commerce Secretary, negotiates trade deals, which could mean more business for his ships if he negotiates things related to oil and gas. We also learned that some of his businesses continue to buy and sell ships, so it's really hard for us to keep up with his activity. And figuring out all of his holdings related to shipping was extremely complicated. My colleague Maria Curie and I had to go through the painstaking process of unraveling all of his business interests and his shipping interests when it comes to the disclosure form. Okay, so for example, if you go to number 10 on the disclosure form, that's going to be W.L. Ross Group LP. That's the parent company. Now, the problems with these forms are they're extremely opaque. Some of the businesses he has ties to are almost like peering into alphabet soup because they're just a jumble of letters. So if you keep going all the way down to 10.6.1.2.1.1, you'll find WLR, TRF, Shipping, LP, Cayman. So we ended up tracking down some of the businesses and then tied those businesses to a shipping database. Well, that's obviously a lot of time in digging. What was the Senate vetting process that he went through actually like? Did anyone know how large his shipping interests were? Well, they were partly flying blind here, and that's because the Senate held Ross's confirmation hearing just one day after his financial disclosure form was released. Good morning. We are meeting today to consider the nomination of Mr. Wilbur Ross to be the next Secretary of Commerce. It took Marie and me months to figure out just his shipping assets, and the Senate had to process his entire disclosure form, including Wilbur Ross's banking assets, his real estate holdings, energy, and other holdings, in just one day. 
At his confirmation hearing, Ross was asked how he'd handle conflicts of interest related to shipping and any other interests that he pledged to hold on to. I intend to be quite scrupulous about recusal and any topic where there's the slightest scintilla of doubt. So he said he wouldn't be involved in his businesses and that he would recuse himself from issues that pertain to his business holdings. And I remember Democrats praising Ross at the time for taking that action. And it kind of seemed like they were trying to draw a distinction between Wilbur Ross and his boss, President Trump, who famously did not and has not divested his holdings. Well, that's right. Richard Blumenthal, Connecticut Democrat, who was pointing to Ross as a model of ethics at his hearing, uh, is now blasting Wilbur Ross over the new details uncovered about his shipping holdings. We also uncovered at APM reports that Ross's chief of staff continued to serve as a board member on a shipping company while she was negotiating a trade deal with China. All right, let's talk about the Paradise Papers, shall we? Uh, 13.4 million documents have been leaked. Offshore havens and other corporate registers. Paradise Papers revealed Ross's ties to a shipping firm that does business with Vladimir Putin's son-in-law. Critics are calling for an investigation, but the Commerce Secretary says he's done nothing wrong. So there's been a lot of stuff that has come out since the Senate vetting process and the confirmation hearing. Now, Ross is still in his job as Commerce Secretary, and Blumenthal is calling for the Office of the Inspector General to investigate him. And when I interviewed Blumenthal earlier in January, he told me he wasn't given the full financial picture last year, and he's really concerned about that. The reason that my view changed about Secretary Ross was learning additional information, which was somewhat obfuscated when he made his initial filings. And that fact illustrates the lack of power in the current Office of Government Ethics. They lack the resources and authority to audit and do forensic investigation. In today's world, many of these financial holdings are so complex and intricate, they are worldwide in scope. They can be disclosed in form, but not in reality. Now, Wilbur Ross said in October that he's going to sell off a lot of his shipping assets. But here's the other problem here. We don't know, fully know if he did that because he hasn't filed the paperwork to do so yet. And we may not know fully until he files his next uh, disclosure form in May. Now, I should note that the Commerce Department, we reached out to them to talk to them about Wilbur Ross's financial disclosure form. They didn't get back to us. The White House also declined our interview requests related to talking about their ethics policy. So all this means taxpayers are still unsure of the exact financial holdings of Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross and many other cabinet members. In our next and final installment of Ethics Be Damned, we'll take a look at possible fixes to the system and what happens if there aren't any changes. This series was produced by Katie Long and edited by Eve Tro and Catherine Winter. Daniel Ramirez is our engineer. Chris Worthington is the managing director of APM Reports. I'm Lizzie O'Leary.